Hello, and welcome to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. If you're growing your photography or creative business, you're in the right place. Each week, we deliver a workshop-style solo show, expert interview, or motivating story from our community, so you can tune in to find encouragement, motivation, and ideas to help the right people find you and your amazing work. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting. I'm a photographer and coach, and my favorite thing is helping dangerous creatives just like you stand out in a world that just wants us to blend in. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. I know I have definitely been on a podcast kick myself, and I run through them so quickly, and I'm always looking for the next podcast that's going to inspire me or motivate me or keep me feeling like I'm not alone while I'm editing or working on stuff or just kind of like doing my hot girl walk during the morning. So if you're like me and you're always looking for that next podcast to add to your playlist, let me introduce you to my friend's podcast, Workflows. Scott Wyden-Kivowitz interviews so many amazing photographers on their workflows, the stories of how they built their business, what really sets them apart, and what they're passionate about. It's presented by Imagine, who is so passionate about helping photographers save time and money through their workflows. So make sure you check out the podcast. He has so many great interviews, and I always come away feeling inspired. While you're at it, we put together a really fun freebie to go along with this partnership because we have found that when you start outsourcing and you start automating things through your workflows, you can bring in so much more money to your business and it can be so good for you as a person and as an artist. And so we have a freebie that is five ways to make more money in your photography business by outsourcing your editing. So make sure you check out the link in the show notes. We have that freebie and you can test out Imagine for free and check out Scott's podcast workflows, which I think you will find so encouraging and inspiring as you really dive into some of the stories of these amazing photographers. Well, hey, and welcome back to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have my friend Neely Butler on the podcast again, this time too, because she was so kind and generous to come to my house at the very beginning of this podcast when it was called The Porchcast and be one of my very first interviews. And she just is, I don't know, I've never told you this, but when I think about someone that just personifies like grace and um, like elegance and handling things with so much like thought and intentionality I think of you so thank you for being that person and for being back here to chat more about what's new with Maria me and um and your life and everything so welcome Neely that means so much to me what a compliment (laughs) well Neely is the um she is the brains and the beauty behind Marie and me. It's a nationally recognized wedding planning company based in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm just excited for y'all to hear from her today because she has so much experience. And I know things have changed in your business a lot too since we spoke last. So I can't wait for everyone to hear from you. Oh, thanks for having me on. I remember driving to Nashville for our first podcast because I was too nervous to log into anything. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so fun. And I'm so glad that we did it that way. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm just glad to see you. So, well, can you give us a little bit of history, catch us up to where you are now with Maria Me um, and what you do? And then I would love to dig in a little bit more to what's changed since the last time we chatted. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, like you said, Miami is a luxury wedding planning company. Um, we're based in Birmingham, but we do work pretty much all, I mean, all over the country. Sometimes we go international. Um, our clients are from all over the country. They're not, a lot of people ask me if we're all Birmingham clients um, and we're really not, we're not even Southeast clients anymore. And um, I've been doing it since 2009. And so, um, you know, I, I really enjoy every aspect of it, but I have a team of people who work with me that are all, you know, full-time people and really make up who we are as a company and as a brand and as a reputation. It's definitely not the Neely Butler show. Um, it's a lot of talent and a lot of heart behind um, what we do, um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And um, I'm just so thankful that I get to do it every day. I love that so much. I'm excited to dig in more to your team and how you built such a um, unified voice across your company. I'm excited to dive into that in a little bit as well. But um, I know since we've chatted, you have had a lot of of jumps and growth. What would you say are some of the biggest things that have changed in the last, what, five years since we chatted? Um, yeah. Yeah. So when I, um, when I first built my business or started my business, it was like primarily like Birmingham families having really nice weddings somewhere in the state of Alabama. And it was a very profitable business. It was a very successful business. And we, we really, um, I think that is what built our brand. So it was, you know, our seamless wedding days, um, the way we treated vendors, uh, the way we held, you know, our clients hand through the process and really made their weddings their own. And so, you know, one wedding led to the next wedding and it was all referrals. And we really pretty much at some point in, in the beginning phases of this business, I either knew like all the wedding guests, you know, I'd either worked for all of them or they were all friends with each other because it was just like this tangled web of people um, in, in the state of Alabama. And then then, you know, one family took us to their home out West and then it kind of showed that we were able to do this on the road. And so then it became Birmingham families that were taking us destination. And that's where we really mastered the art of destination weddings and um, remote locations. Um, and then probably about five years ago, um, and maybe, you know, right around then it kind of, it just, there was a shift and it was like, Dallas families, Houston families, Virginia families, New York, Manhattan, you know, Philadelphia, like they were just started coming in from everywhere. And I really think it was a lot of Instagram um, because they would kind of see our work. And I think that what I could pick up on is that they would see, they could see themselves or that was the type of wedding that they wanted. And then what I was very thankful to see was that they were also interviewing us against other big name firms across the country, which at first was super intimidating for me. Um, but then I was getting some really, I was getting a lot of the work and, um, or a lot of the work that I was very, you know, happy to get, there's plenty of work to go around. Don't get me wrong, but, yeah. and it was a lot of like, they could tell who we were through Instagram. I don't know how, but they were able to like, they were like, they liked either our approach to it, um, which is just super important to me. And um, I think that's what makes the Miami brand what it is. Just, you know, the heartfelt approach behind the, all the beauty and the production and all of it, that there still is 
um, just a real people aspect behind it. And so um, then that kind of concept became contagious. And then now that's kind of where we are now. And we, you know, I, I still love doing Birmingham weddings and I still love working for people that I know. I mean, that's always like so exciting, but at the same time, you know, we have clients spread out all over the country and, you know, we just have figured out how to do it. That's amazing. Do you, looking back, do you think that having that local base first really helped when you started growing out into the destinations, like having that really solid reputation in one place, as opposed to trying to start as destination first? I really think it was what made the business as as successful as it is now, because, you know, it's also like when I hear young planners say, I want to be a luxury wedding planner. I'm like, well, yeah, we all do. But at the same time, like if you will just start somewhere and like work hard and like build a reputation, then your reputation will speak for itself. And it then, then it's just like work comes in and you don't have to go find work. And so I think to answer your question, if you, you know, me building the business in Birmingham built a portfolio and every wedding I did would tell, you know, there's another five people that would come leave the wedding saying, I want to hire her. So it just built this nice portfolio and referral business for me in one spot. What, whereas to say, if I had tried to start off by saying, Hey, I'm just going to be destination and you work for a group of people in California. Well, they're never going to overlap with somebody in South Carolina. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, the Instagram is a great marketing tool and all the social media and all of it. And it shows your work so well, but you really need people to experience the service that you're, you're doing to really want it themselves. Yeah. I think that's such great advice. And your company really has always been known for great personal connection with your clients, a great experience for everyone involved. Um, is there anything that you've like leaned into more or backed off on as you've grown or anything that has changed in kind of how you, how you interact behind the scenes or what you focus on or what you niche in or anything like that? Yeah, actually it's um, an interesting topic for me as Maria me means bride's friend in French. And so when I started this, it was just like, I am the bride's best friend. I don't know what else to tell you. And so that is what the business was built on. And, and, you know, I will always be a heart centered company. That's just who we are. Um, it's our culture and it's what I expect from our team and, um, who they all deliver that every day. But the, the bigger we've gotten, the bigger jobs that we do, the higher level of professionalism that we have to offer for these luxury weddings, the bride's best friend seems a little young. It seems a little like I have, I'm offering a service of a very, a very um, high expectations. I am working with um, clients who are used to dealing with professionals. I'm working with dads who are presidents and CEOs of massive companies. They, they look to me to be the same professional that they are in their line of work. And so um, there has been a shift in the way I, I handle clients and the way I, you know, lead my team from a professional standpoint, it's no longer, yes, we will do anything our client needs us to do, but we, in a way, um, 
you know, definitely put off a more polished, more professional look. And I think that that's probably my favorite compliment that we're getting right now. It's just the the father of the brides are like, I didn't expect this to be such a professional experience, Um, which is, you know, which is what I want it to be for them. Just like high caliber of execution and production and communication and all the things across the board. Exactly. So, you know, we'll always be the bride's friend, but um, you know, you just have to grow with your business. And, and I think that was a great starting point, of course. And, um, but I do, I do enjoy offering, um, that level of professionalism, you know, and being able to say Maria me is a, you know, a true firm and company. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. This is a little bit more of a nosy question, but today it's 2023, mid 2023, do you feel like to achieve a really professional wedding, maybe for like 200 guests, what, like, what does someone need to spend at this point? I mean, I feel like it's it to do something well is such an investment. I think people don't always understand what that means. You know, I think that that's probably the hardest thing I do all day because I always want to be an approach, approachable planner. We, unlike a lot of the, high, you know, bigger name firms, we do not have that set really high budget minimum. Um, I like to work with a lot of different people and a lot of different budgets. Um, and so it is hard because they come to me and you may have somebody that says, I want to spend $150,000. And then you have somebody that says, you know, I want to be mindful of, you know, and be a good, um, you know, smart spender, but budget's not an option. You, I mean, it's not an issue, you know? And so you have these wide ranges, but in there, and they're all seeing the same pictures on Instagram and they're like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And, you know, for 200 people, if you're in a venue um, it's very hard for me to like, if you're at a country club, it's very hard for me to do anything less than $175,000. And that is like watching every single solitary penny. Yeah. Um, you know, to certain degrees. I mean, there's always going to be the weddings out there that, that just is never going to be an option and they have a different mindset, but the clients we see, um, I would say most of our weddings that you see on Instagram are no less than $250,000. Um, and then they go up to over a million. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I know. I I um I was kind of wondering if things have shifted at all, especially as Pinterest has gotten bigger and Instagram and everyone's seeing the same images and wanting the same thing. Obviously, we like ever we all want a stunning beautiful wedding. Um and also I think there's a little bit of a disconnect of what those should cost since the lists that are out there are from the nineties or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, and it's just such a broad, everything in the wedding world is on such a scale, as you know, in photography, I mean, you have somebody who's offering 10 hours for, you know, $5,000 and then you have 10 hours for $35,000 or more, you know, there's such a, there's such a scale that, um, you know, and weddings are something that a lot of, you know, you do one time, so you're not educated going into this. And so they really, the, the, the couples really have to depend on the planner. So they need to hire the planner that's in the market of the wedding that they can afford. Um, so that that planner has the right resources and can educate them on making those decisions. Cause we, yeah, like you said, we all want the nice things. Um, but you know, I always tell brides to watch their guest count because, you know, maybe, maybe we just don't need to have 200 people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm.
Okay, Kristen. So you've been working coaching creatives for years now, and I'm sure they come to you with like all sorts of struggles that they're having as far as, you know, moving their business forward. Blogging seems to always come up. I'm curious what you give as far as tips, what you use for blogging. And if there's any way that you've found to like make it a little easier to sit down and get that done. Totally. Blogs can be super huge for SEO and also through Pinterest or different ways that people can find you. So I always say first, like think about what your ideal client would be Googling. And so if you can create a blog about venues you love or locations you love or tips or um, destinations that you love, anything like that, that they might be Googling is huge for SEO content for your blog and can help more of your ideal clients find you. Also, be blogging your work because I think people want to see what you're up to recently. Trends are changing constantly. They're looking for fresh inspiration. And so we have been loving when our clients use pick time because they can really easily pull a blog right from their gallery, curate it to exactly what they want, copy the code, paste it in their blog. I've been doing this with mine too. And it just makes it go so quickly. I can just build it into the end of my workflow. Once I deliver a gallery, I can make my submissions for different you know, magazines and blogs that way. And I can also blog on my own page and it just makes it so quick and easy to be able to do it all in that same interface there. So I've really been loving that. And those are two of the main ways that we've seen blogs really help photography businesses. So if you haven't tried PickTime yet, highly recommend. They are a lovely partner of this show and they've given us a code for first time users, dangerous creatives, you can get a free month. Um, of their software. So definitely recommend testing it out and seeing if it's worth the switch for you. Anything, you know, we had, we had COVID, we had all the things, we had so much disruption in the wedding industry. Any things that you've seen shift in, you know, a positive, I know this is all you know, subjective, anything you've seen shift in a positive way or anything that you've seen shifted that you're like, I wish that didn't shift. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like out of COVID, we all, um, you know, we had the mindset of smaller guest counts. And then all of a sudden I felt like 2022, it was like everything went out the window and people went crazy. And we did a zillion weddings and everyone tried to outdo the next, you know, it was just like (laughs) an insane year. Um, And it was so much fun and great, but that, you know, we kind of saw the guest count creep back up. Um, Lots of destination weddings, lots of travel. What all can I fit in? Um, And now we're looking at, um, you know, maybe a possible recession in the future and people are kind of watching through things and, I think that the kind of that quiet luxury is the trend that we love and that's who our clients are, but that I see being a bigger push going forward. And there was a little bit of a quiet luxury during COVID because it was like, I don't want to splash this big to do in the faces of people who are hurting right now. And, um, but then last, you know what I mean? So I'm kind of glad I, I, I like the quiet luxury um, mentality because I think that that focuses on the guest experience and it still means it's going to be luxury and beautiful and all the things, but it's not so flashy in everyone's face. Totally. Totally. I love that too. I love that, um, that vibe and the, like you can feel it because it makes you feel good and makes you feel like you're taken care of and all of the things, but it doesn't have to be, you know, 
Oh. Helicopter rides and yeah. know, <laughs> hot, hot air balloons. You know what I mean? It's, it does. And it also, to me, just feels a little more authentic yeah. of who people really are and focusing on what's really important to them as a couple. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of see that maybe come back in this year. So, yeah, as um, you've seen things trend and not even just the last couple of years, anything that you're like, this is always a constant, you know, we have a lot of photographers, but also a lot of creatives that listen to this podcast, anything that you're like, this is timeless business advice or a timeless, like this thing will always be cool. And it's always something that is worth your time, you know? <laughs> um, You know, from an aesthetic standpoint, I think that tent weddings and um are a, a thing. And I think they will always be cool. You know, I think that it gives, it gives a blank space. It gives you more opportunity for high design. Um, I think it gives florists and production and designers more opportunity to showcase their work. And then photographers get excited because they like it because then they have more pretty things to shoot and they have natural lighting. And so I think that the outdoor destination or tent wedding will always be everyone's favorite, you know, and then, you know, from a business standpoint, I, I just think communication, um, you know, from that's never going to go out of style. Um, just having clear and like managing expectations and over communicating and remembering that these couples and families who hire us have never done this before. They don't know what to expect. So you cannot assume that they understand because typically if you talk to, if I talk to any vendors and they're like, gosh, that was a problem client. It's usually because the, their expectations were not managed. Um, and if they had just been managed on the front end or overly communicated in a better way, then everyone would have enjoyed the experience a whole lot more. So that would be my constant advice. Totally. I'm such a fan of that as well. Um, okay. Well, I want to hear a little bit more about you and about your entrepreneurship journey. Have you always known you wanted to go into business for yourself? How did you kind of figure out that you had a passion here or that you were um, good at running a business? What did that look like for you? Well, it's a funny really story. Fell into it. <laughs> I fell into it a little bit. Um, no, um, desperation maybe. Um, I barely passed fifth grade. I had a terrible learning disability. I think I've told you that before. And so um, like having my own business was not like ever like something I dreamed of. I did want to be a wedding planner. And I never saw that as like a business. I just kind of saw it as like a thing or maybe something on the movies. Um, didn't really even know if it could ever exist. And then um, I worked for a law firm and then, and did their events. And so I was in the event world already for, you know, almost a decade and found myself at a crossroad of like, I've got to come up with a career and I don't know what it's going to be. And, you know, I was broke as a joke and um, I think there was $300 in my checking account. So it was like, I had to figure it out quickly. Um, and so I always say like, it wasn't like I planned on it being what it is today by any means. I just decided that I could figure it out and I was willing to put in the hours. I was willing to work hard. And my little like job from my kitchen table turned into like kind of a real job. And then like, I was busy all day. And then it was like, Oh no, I think I need a, somebody to help me. And then it was like, I need an office. And then I needed two people. And then now fast forward almost 15 years later, it's, you know, multi-million dollar company with lots of employees and it's awesome. And we love it. And, um, and I still work, you know, every day, all day long on it. It's, you know, it's, new problems, a different level of problems, but 
I would say I'm now an entrepreneur. I love, I love owning a business. I love having my own thing. And, um, you know, I love the heartaches that come with it and the sleepless nights and the challenges too. So I'm glad that I stumbled into it. Um, but I'm not like, I'm also not a serial entrepreneur. I'm not looking to like now, what else can I do um, necessarily? Um, every now and then I'm like, hmm, should I do something else? But I always come back to this. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any of those big growths or big changes or like bringing on a team or building a studio, like, I guess my question is, which one of those was the most challenging for you? Or which one did you like, oh, I have to learn these skills quickly? Um, I would say managing people is probably my favorite part, but the hardest part. Yeah. You know, hiring people, I've always had the mindset, if I find good people, hire them and surround myself in sm- with smart, intelligent people who believe in what I believe in and everything else will be fine. And I've been very, very lucky to do that. And um, in my team, while we have had changes over the last 15 years, people go and come. It has been a pretty consistent group of people. And, but at the same time, like managing them is the hardest part because I am such a people person that I just want everybody to be happy. And so it's like, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? What that doesn't necessarily make the other person happy. And, mm-hmm. um, and so having to be the boss and having to have hard conversations is something that I struggle with. And so I'm, I'm always looking for like coaching or learning or listening to inspirational messages that kind of help me be the, be the, still the people person I want to be and and still be compassionate and um, give everyone the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, someone has to run the business. Somebody has to make the hard calls. Um, but that's the part that I think I will always like crave more education and like more, or the part that keeps me up. The other things, as far as like business, I usually can, you know, figure it out or get help or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, the managing people or how do you be, how do you become a great boss? That's not something that we see modeled very often or that people talk about openly very often. So I know when I've added to my team, that's also been a challenge and just like, how do I do this really well? And also like, make sure, you know, all the things are, are working right at the same time. So definitely relate there. Anything that you've learned along the way that you're like, this makes such a big difference or, um, you know, having this tool in your tool belt has really changed, um, how you lead. I, I recently got an Enneagram coach to come to the office. Ooh, yeah. And I love the Enneagram. That, that was like really fascinating. Um, I try and stay very like in tune with my, everybody's um, personalities. And I, if something irritates me or I don't think something's working, I try and be a very thoughtful, like I think about how I'm going to respond or how I'm going to handle a situation for maybe even too long, because I want to make sure it doesn't, you know, maybe if that hard conversation, it could send that employee into such a panic attack that then you have a worse employee, you know what I mean? So you've, it's just, trying to find the right words to mentor and coach your employee through whatever they're going through. But the Enneagram was so helpful because it, it almost like put on paper, like it, it validated, like, you know, 
my number two, she's an, she's a six and here are the things. And I was like, when I read through like the things that she, that bother her and the things that drive her, I'm like, oh my God, this is, of course this is who she is. Yeah. Um, and so it was really fascinating just to see the mix of, of, of numbers on our team and who works well with each other. And it really, it answered a lot of questions and it, and as a team, it made my other teammates see each other in more of like, instead of saying, oh, that's so annoying when she does that. It's like, well, of course she does that. And then I too probably have something that annoys her, you know? And so it, um, it was just a really great experience. So if, if anybody's has a team, I would highly recommend it for like an activity for, for the group. That's such a good idea. Cause I, I love the Enneagram. I think it opens you up to being more empathetic of how different people work. Mm -hmm. Um, what number are you? I'm an eight, but I thought I was a three until the lady came. Like I was a dead set number three yeah. and she was like, you're so not a three, you're an eight. So, yeah. So, you know, having, having that, I still don't know what number I am. I've changed it like five times, but, <laughs> <laughs> but knowing like when I know some of my best friends an eight and when like, I totally know you know, what's going to work or what's not going to work or where our challenges might be with our conversation. So I think it is such an amazing tool just to help you understand people and to celebrate their strengths. And, you know, instead of just focusing on the things that do kind of stand out, they're like, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> it's also helped with clients because I don't know what the client is, but I can pick up on things. And, and usually, you know, it kind of helps um, manage clients also. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I know that um, if y'all aren't familiar with the Enneagram, the Enneagram six is like tends to be one that needs a lot of like reassurance or tends to get anxious. I tend to get anxious. So maybe I'm a six. But when I find out someone's a six, I'm like, okay, cool. I need to make sure I have all my my ducks in a row that I go over things I wouldn't have to go over with other clients or, you know, it it is just so helpful. It is very helpful. One of the other things that a lot of people don't know about you is that you're a cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. I am. And I've noticed this with a lot of people that I've interviewed is that a lot of times there's something really um, impactful in their story that they had to overcome and it change. Obviously it changes your life in so many ways, but also pushes you forward in so many ways. Um, is there anything about that part of your life you want to share? Or do you think that that has impacted your entrepreneurial journey at all? No, hundred percent. I get to ask that a lot. I just think as a cancer survivor, I was 18, 19 and 20, like one, almost 22 when I was sick. And so that's like, right when you're like, you know, developing into a young adult. And, um, and so I don't, you know, my developmental years was more about surviving and yeah. so I have this survivorship mentality, I feel like because of that. And so whenever I'm faced a challenge, it's like, or a hardship, it's like, I am going to survive. It's just like, I know I'm going to survive. I just have to get there. And so it does like entrepreneur is like survivorship every day. And it just, I feel like I just don't stop because of a hard day. I don't really lay down and wallow in, um, a hardship that, you know, comes up. It's just, okay, the next day the sun will come up and I will address it this way. And let's just, um, tackle it one thing at a time. But, you know, I, I was that, and then I also went through a divorce young and, um, and a lot of people ask me like, what, when is enough enough for you? Like, or do you feel success 
And it's like, yes, I feel success. And, but I feel like I'm always trying to prove myself in a way. Um, I'm I'm not sure it's a hundred percent healthy yet, (laughs) but, um, you know, and so I just think that there, everybody has something in their life that either drives them or cripples them, you know, and, 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 you know, it's just this part of life. And, um, but yeah, I would say the cancer definitely was, was a thing for me. Um, but now that I've survived it, I'm very thankful that I had it and it's certainly gotten me where I am today, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that too, of there's a lot of times in our life where you either let something defeat you or you come out kicking and, and, you know, not that, not that you ever look back and be like, you know, glad that happened or whatever, but you're like, but look at who I am now. Cause I did come out fighting and just that I'm sure the, the issues that come up in business feel much smaller, um, after going through some big things like that. I know for me, when I went through a divorce, I was like, I used to really be crippled by what I thought people thought about me after that. I was like, I know people aren't thinking good things about me. So there's a lot less fear of like starting whatever I want to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Um, I also think like normalizing hard moments in our business is something important to do too, because I think a lot of younger artists or a lot of entrepreneurs just think like, oh, if I do this right, there won't be any problems. Um, instead of being like, there's always going to be challenges. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong, you know? Yeah. And like every single thing about owning a business or working for a business. I mean, there's, there's just what degree of problems, like, you know, I used to cry myself to sleep at night when I first started this, if if I felt like a client was like not liking something or, you know, I had to have a hard conversation with a client and now, you know, that becomes easier, the more, you know, I know how to handle it. Like, I feel like your problems get bigger, the bigger your business is, but you forget how many problems you've solved, you know, in a way. Um, and it's not, I've never had one day go like perfect. <laughs> and yeah. that's something to remember, like, you know, there's always something, you know, even if it's as easy as the internet went out, you know, there's always something that, that happens that, um, that you have to overcome. And, you know, I just always try and say is like, if you know that every problem that you face is just a situation, um, if you kind of look at it that way, um, and how am I going to handle this situation? Um, it's a little easier to tackle. Like we can figure this out or all, all the problems are solvable. You just need to like, if you can have a clear head through it all and stay calm, you can handle it. But, you know, um, owning a business does not mean it's easy. And if it is easy, then you're probably not doing all you can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not challenging yourself in some way or <laughs> trying to also think also think you know of all you you hear this a lot but I, I truly feel it myself is whenever the business was about to like take a shift into like something um like when we started doing the luxury stuff when we started traveling when we started when we brought on this whole production team like there the fear and the anxiety that I would feel sense going into that change would easily stop you in your tracks. Like I'm not doing this. This is too scary. This is too hard. So knowing the difference between the good fear and the bad fear is the key. So like always like really listening to yourself, 
checking your gut because there's two different fears. Mm. There's the fear that tells you stop what you're doing. You're doing it wrong. And then there's the fear that's like, it hurts and it's scary, but you're going to be all right. And so you've got to really pay attention and find, figure out the difference. And once, once you've been through both of them a lot, you can really tell the difference, but um, you don't want to, you know, you, something great is right behind that fear. And I, you know, you don't want to stop if that's what it is. Yeah. That's such good advice too. And figuring out the difference. Is it just trial and error that helped you figure out the difference between those voices? I think it's trial and error and just like a lot of self-reflecting and a lot of um, listening to my gut and like, you know, trusting my judgment. And then when I did have, if I did, you know, have bad judgment, like owning my mistake and being like, Hey, that was a wrong decision. Like I should, I don't want to do that again. What did I do wrong? And what should I not do again? And like learning from your mistakes. Um, but just really like giving yourself time to think about what you're doing and um, paying attention is really the key um, and not being distracted, you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. Um, is there any event story that will be from the archives that'll be in your book someday? <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> oh, if only I could tell. Um, you know, it's always so funny when I get put on the spot. I'm like, I can't even ever remember. But then I'm like, oh, that's so going to be a chapter in the book one day. Um, you know, there's always the weather related stories. And then you've always got the crazy aunt that shows up and does something, you know, off the wall. And, um, you know, but I really, you know, can't tell or <laughs> You're like most of them I can't say. <laughs> most of them I can't say, you know, but then I always laugh and I'll be talking to a client. One client was like, I hate cooked carrots. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, serious as a heart attack. Like I hate hot carrots. And so I was like, well, chapter 13, no cooked carrots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's just the title. Always, of- always the funny things, but have you had have you done a wedding in like a hurricane or anything like that? I mean. Oh, yeah. So maybe we had a tornado come through and we were in a tent and um, Tom, my husband was like, get out of the tent. I was like, I can't. I've got all these people. And he was like, I don't care. I don't care. You have to leave the tent. And so we evacuated the tent. I got everyone safe and removed. It was, it should have been its own movie. And um, I don't know if you remember Louise who worked with me for so long. Yeah. It It was just Louise and I in the tent. And like the tornado was like coming straight for us. And so we just like piled on top of each other. I laid on top of it. We put all the linen bags on top of us. We were oh like hunkered down. You know, we were covered in mud. Um, we survived to tell the story. But, you know, there's always, there's always the weather. You know, you're soaking wet, a drowned rat. And like your client is just like perfectly beautiful and dry. <laughs> you're just like... <laughs> Um, our job was done here. <laughs> our job was done. I mean, we had one um, in November and I think it was like an hour and a half before the ceremony started. The tent was perfect and everything was in place and the storm just came through and blew everything in the tent over and it was all underwater. Oh my gosh. But, you know, but that's what makes a good team and a good story. You know, my team was able to whip it together and I was with the client in the house doing photos, as you know, and, um, I never had to see any of the drama. And so they showed me all the videos that night over wine and, um, you know, we'd love to tell about it, but yeah, uh, 
I like, you know, if, if there's any reason to hire true professionals, it's like the weather is going to do what the weather is going to do. And really good planners and photographers know exactly what to do, even if we're figuring it out, but there's that experience to like lean back on, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And then it's like the client's like, you can't even, you, I didn't even know it was raining. Like that's the part that, um, but you got to have a team of people because like a one man show will never get that done. So yeah, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. And then one thing I really admire about you is you really have built your business in your life around your values. And one of those that's so clear is family, um, both from like the way you treat your clients, your vendors, your team members, and your own biological family. Um, are there any like decisions or countercultural decisions you've made to kind of keep that value intact as you've been growing? I think the overall theme is to try and show the grace that I need as a person. I'm going to make the most mistakes out of everyone in my life, you know? And as long as I know that about myself, then that means if I show my husband grace or my children or my employees or my vendors, you know, everyone's going to make mistakes. And um, I think that if I, show them the grace, they'll show it to me in return. And I have been so far that has been very truthful. Um, you know, from the vendor world is one of my favorite aspects is like, I really, I love hearing like vendors say that they like working with Maria and me, that they, that we take care of them and that we always have their backs. And if something were to happen, you know, they can lean on us. And that's, that's so important because I work with these vendors all the time and they're just an extension of my brand. And, um, you know, that, that's been a really great value for me, um, as a business owner is having all those wonderful people right behind me. And, um, and so taking care of the vendors, I think is super important in our line of work that sometimes isn't always, um, looked at. And then, you know, obviously taking care of your clients, but, you know, without my family, I wouldn't, have anything. And so they're the foundation of, they allow me to do what I do. We have three kids and I have this amazing supportive husband and just making the time for them and making sure that they know that they're the most important, but at the same time, they value Maria and me as also very important to our family and to our life. And so they're very understanding of like, mom has to go to work or mom gets to go to work or, you know, I think our, we have teenage daughters and you know, I didn't even know if they knew what I did. And then, <laughs> you know, recently they both have in their own way have been like, you're kind of cool. Like, you're like, you know, like <laughs> you know? um, and so it's been fun. It's, yeah, it's been fun to like have them gr- growing, like getting to the age where they're recognizing weddings and recognizing what I do and what I sacrifice for our family, um, has been really rewarding as a mom, but you know, they, they certainly, um, they certainly allow me to do what I do. Um, so that's amazing. Yeah. Family is the first team, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of people ask me like, does your husband work? I'm like, oh yes. My husband has a very high profile, very um, demanding job as well, but that's what I think a marriage is all about. And I'm glad that my kids get to see that, you know, the husband and the wife can both have high demanding jobs and Tom and I just dance the dance and we share responsibilities and, he's Mr. Mom during this time. And, you know, and then he travels and I'm all hands on deck. And, um, you know, I don't think you can do this line of work if you don't have a supportive spouse. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. And having kids get to see both and see y'all manage it and juggle it. And I know often I'm like, we don't do this perfectly, but we talk about it. And I'm like, hopefully there's some kind of lesson in that too, that Hudson can see that they're like, they showed us where it wasn't perfect too. And we, you know, I learned something from that. Uh, that's my hope for him. No, I think so. Especially for Hudson and for Bruce, like I want them as, I want them as boys and as husbands that if they marry a, you know, a driven woman to respect what she wants to do. And if she wants to build a business or if she wants to have a professional career that she's not in the home, or if she wants, if their family needs to move for her job, that that, you know, that's a thing. And um, it's just very important to me that, you know, my husband is so supportive in that and that our boys learn it too. Totally. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what do you hope is to come for your next chapter of entrepreneurship? Um, you know, it's, I think I'm, I want to keep just trucking along and doing what we're doing. I always want to get better at what we're doing. I always want to re, you know, I'm always trying to sharpen the process, um, make it more seamless than it already is. It's always my goal every day. Um, I'm also not getting any younger. Um, you know, I still feel good at this. I still love doing it, but there's also like, I think for the first time in a long time, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm 42 years old. How long am I really going to do this? Um, what do I want the legacy to be? Do I want Maria me to continue to go on without me? Um, those are kind of the things that I will like be fun to think about in the back of my mind. It's not tomorrow by any means, but you know, I think that could be the next chapter, um, down the road and, um, you know, always gives me something to think about. Totally. I think that's so interesting to think through the future too, and the legacy of what, Will I sell this business? Will I train someone up to take over it? Um, are are your team members taking weddings without you, or are you doing? Are you kind of on site with all of them? Well, that's always a lot. A lot of people ask that. Not clients don't ask it at all, which is the best part because they understand the process because they're in the process. And so, like every person on my team has a huge value. There's no. There, I don't have assistants. They all have made this a career. Um they're the breadwinners of their families. Like this is a real deal for them. So it's, um, they all have a big, big responsibility and the client feels it from day one. So they see that I, you know, am the strategic planner and the strategic kind of thinker and the manager of our ship, but they also are like, you know, so many important decisions are made by all the team members. Um, I usually get that question more from people who've never worked with us or just like friends of mine. They're like, oh, do you still have to? And that and the answer to that question is no, I do not have to. Do I think I play an importance of, you know, in role in what we do on a day-to-day basis and on the weekends? Yeah, I I I probably do. But I could um if I got sick and couldn't go this weekend or my child needed me for some reason, then there would be not even a blip mess up, you know? And so, no, I do not need to be there, but I still enjoy my role too much. Totally. Um, And as long as my team will still accept me, I think I'm going to stick around for a little bit longer. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I imagine with wedding planning, there's a choice at some point where you could be like, we could have a huge volume of weddings where there's multiple per weekend and I'm not at everyone or kind of the probably what y'all are leaning into the more luxury experience of everyone's on deck and everyone is contributing 
Um, I don't know. Was there ever a question of that for yeah. you? Or- well, we've done, we've, I've done both. And yeah. so um, there was a year Louise and I did 70 weddings in one year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I've done both. I've done volume and I've done, um, but what we're doing right now requires, it's a lot different beast. And so, you know, taking two on a weekend, you know, depending on what it is, yes. Can my team do two? if they're both small and they're both what they need to be. But typically what we're doing now is we're doing on average between 25 and 30 a year, higher luxury that all hands are on deck or a lot of hands are on deck. Um, so I've done both. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, it just depends. I it, it, I kind of am, this is just where we are in the business, but um, you know, the high volume was really fun and it was a very profitable way to do it. But I think you have to kind of decide what you're going to be, which one are you going to be, but trying to be both and being very transparent parent to the client of what they're getting is, was always the thing. Like I'm not coming to your wedding or I'm not going to be there. Um, you know, cause you don't want to sell a wedding as if they think you're it. Um, the other piece of advice that I would have on that is that when the client calls Maria me to book us, they don't talk to me. So I don't sell the company because I feel like when they talk to me initially, they're like immediately think Neely is Maria me and I am not Maria me. And so I don't even talk to the client until after they're booked and sometimes even a you know meeting or two in just to make sure that the team gets the the foundation built before a client thinks that I'm the end all be all because I am not. Yeah, I think that's so important for founders. And I found that to be true in my own business too, is that it helps to um, have a little bit of separation right at the beginning, just so it is like they get a chance to experience all the other members on your team before it's just you. Because it is so easy, I think, when you're a founder or a CEO or the person with the main name or whatever to be like, this is the only person I will talk to from here on out, if that's like the first point of contact. Yep, exactly. Um, and that was a great shift for us and it has worked really, really well. And um, so I'm very thankful for Chelsea who talks to all of our clients. Yay, Chelsea. I know. Um, do you, I know you said you focus on hiring really good people and then, you know, making sure they're in roles that are suited for them. Um, do you find that it works best to have people that know a bunch of different things and are kind of in multiple roles or do you separate out the roles of your team members like a salesperson and the vendors person or you know um I we have paper planning and production and I've hired for paper planning and production so like I usually hire for one of the categories but I'm also not afraid to move people around within once they're there. So like, you know, Chelsea is my number two. Um, she was hired, I mean, almost 10 years ago as, an, you know, a very, very young planner and she's worked her way. She now does sales calls. She now does so- our social media. Um, you know, I value her opinion on so much of what I do. Uh, Mary Frances is a, was a young planner who has really like stepped up in just kind of, we call her the rush chair, like the client relations and things like that and getting all the nitty gritty. Um, And so getting a personality into the company and into the fold of what we do and what we stand for, then kind of being able to adjust people around based on what they love. Because I have found if you put somebody doing what they love, they usually excel in it. Um, And if they don't like it, they just don't do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
that passion so, factor is so important. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. So paying attention. So and finding people that love to do the stuff that maybe you don't love to do, right? Exactly. Exactly. So well, um, this has been so fun. I have a couple just like quick questions at the end that are a little bit more on the um on the personal side. But um, thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much. I love always talking to you. You're one of my favorite people. Oh, that means so much. Okay. So I know you and I share the the love of travel. So Mm -hmm. what's one of your favorite places to travel these days? Um, We have been spending a lot more time like in blue crystal clear water. Like we've been doing more islandy stuff um, over the last, I guess, year. I feel like we've both Tom and I've been needing like downtime and vitamin D has been really good for us. And so, um, we just got back from Belize in, um, February, we went to a little tiny private Island and spent his 50th birthday. And that was magical, um, just to be the two of us. Um, and I'm hoping to go back again. I keep pushing that. (laughs) That sounds Um, amazing. So that's good, but we're able to really relax in the sun. So that's where we've been spending most of our time. Amazing. I love that. Um, splurges that are always worth it. Shoes. Yeah. (laughs) I love shoes. (laughs) Favorite hair currently. They make me feel confident. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you probably can rock the high heels. I need to work on it. Well, not really. Cause that, you know, my cancer kind of left me a little uneven, so, um, I can stand really good in them, but, um, I'm not really good at walking, but no, I, I like sneakers too. I love, I love a good designer pair of sneakers. Um, but I really enjoyed my shoe game lately. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you tell your former self with what you know today? Oh gosh, my therapist asks me that all the time. Uh, <laughs> everything's going to be all right. Everything, you know, like I felt like I lived a lot of hardship as younger in life. And um, if I had known I was going to survive it all, I think it would be, but you know, that all of this is also worth it and the heart, the heartache and the hardships are all worth it in the end. And I'm not finished having hardships. And so just kind of knowing that life really is the roller coaster that people say it is and that no one has it perfect. Um, and just hang on for the ride and you'll have really good days and you'll have some really bad days. But um, I think that was, that's probably what I would say. Just hang on for all of it. Yep. And then how can people follow along with what you're doing and connect with you? Um, Maria, me, um, is where all the beautiful Instagram posts and stories and what we're doing from a work standpoint is always this very curated and gorgeous. Every time I look at it, I'm like, I wonder whose company this is. <laughs> and then, um, so I'm very thankful for that and all the work that my team does to pull that off. And then Neely B is my personal life where I am an open book and vulnerable and, um, loving life and showing motherhood and work and behind the scenes and probably misspelling almost every word I put in there, but who cares? (laughs) I love it. I love both accounts. So we'll put those in the show notes. Make sure you connect with Neely. Um, Neely, thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much of your journey. We really appreciate it. And um, if you're tuning in to the Dangerous Creatives podcast, we are so thankful. We are almost at 50,000 downloads. It's crazy. Thank you so much. We're just so, so grateful for 
Neely, for you and for everyone that's tuning in. So um, hope you have keep up, a- keep up your good work. You're an inspiration and always a smiling face. So. <laughs> This episode was produced and edited by the lovely Jen Madigan Creative. Music for this episode was written and recorded by Jamie Lono and Shammy D. Thanks for being part of our Dangerous Creatives podcast community, and we'll see you again next time.